From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. Elections seem to never end. And yes, we have the 2024 primaries coming up in March. And BFA is hard at work preparing to grade and endorse pro-gun candidates to help you make wise choices. Plus, courts just handed gun owners two important rulings, one in Columbus and one in West Virginia. That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Rob Sexton, BFA's Legislative Affairs Director. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Dean. Good to be back. Well, Rob, I appreciate your being here. You know, you're actually pinch-hitting for Lee Williams from the Second Amendment Foundation. He was originally scheduled to be on But he contacted me and he said he had to bow out because, now this is a quote, he said, I got asked to spend the day boating in the Gulf, and it's a 42-foot boat. So I thought that was kind of funny because uh, he didn't just say he was going to be on on the Gulf for the day, which I think, you know, would have been enough of an excuse. But he said, uh, you know, he wanted to emphasize that it was a 42-foot boat, you know, sort of like... You know, going out on a crappy 20- or 30-foot boat, you know, wasn't good enough. But it's 42 feet, so that gets him off the hook, right? That, that's it. If it had been 30, he'd have been right here, and I would have been doing something else. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, they've got all that nice weather down there. And here we are in Ohio where we don't even know what the sun looks like. I've heard it described to me. Uh, but we don't have a whole lot of it here. So I'm, I'm not on a 42 foot boat, Rob. I have to tell you, Dean, that if somebody had called and offered me a chance to be on the Gulf on a 42 foot boat, I I probably would have canceled all. That's a, that's a pretty good size boat, isn't it? That is. That's a a big boat. Like, like for just a pleasure, like a pleasure boat or something like that. Uh, that's, that probably would not even fit in my driveway and I've got a pretty good sized driveway. So I'm, I'm visualizing this. That's actually, you know, and actually that's kind of a health thing too, right? Cause if you store the beer in the stern and you're sitting up front, you're responsible for that. You get in your cardio, right? Going back and forth on the boat, fetching the Absolutely. beer, you get your yes. steps in. Yes. So he's doing it for his health. It's oh, oh certainly. Absolutely. It's yes. for his health. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and of course you're you're lifting the beer, so that's strength training. Absolutely. So you, get, you got your strength training, you got your cardio, you get your steps in, you get a little vitamin D from the sun. Yeah. So I I get it. So I I know why he's why he's not on the podcast. Absolutely. Very reasonable. <laughs> well, Rob, um, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about elections because you know in the past few months we've. We've not talked enough about elections, uh, having had an election in August and then another one in November. It seems like it's nonstop elections. And here we go. We've got more elections coming up, a primary in March and a general election in November. And these are big elections. You know, this is an even year election 
as a and a presidential election. That's we're right. voting. We're voting. I'm, I was almost going to say we're voting for a new president. Actually, I, I don't think we're going to get a new president. I think we're going to get a very old president, whatever happens. But, you know, we're going to get another president. U.S. Senate, U.S. House, state Senate, state House, Supreme Court here in Ohio, some appellate court seats. This is a pretty big election, Rob. It's a really big election. And, you know, to put a fine point on your presidential remarks, we're not going to get a new president no matter how it goes, it appears, right? Yeah. We're going to get an old president or we're going to get a super old president. But either way, there won't be anything new about either one of them. Well, unless one or both of them just drop over. Well, and that's, you know, and, and that's really what a lot, a lot of people think. You know, I, I think a lot of folks are just not buying that our election is going to be between President Biden and President Trump. You know, a lot of folks think that California Governor Gavin Newsom is going to be the Democrat nominee. And, of course, the Democrats are banking on hauling Donald Trump away in handcuffs, and which would leave us to whoever's left after this primary dust is settled, perhaps. But if things continue the way they are right now, it's going to be a rematch of 2020. How old was Reagan? Because they made fun of him for being like an old codger, and he was— what, 60s, 70s? He, he was in his late 70s. Uh, it, he, he was the oldest person to be elected to a second term, but Biden would be even older than that. Now, I can't remember where Reagan compares with Trump's age, but if Biden is reelected, he will become the oldest to ever be elected to a second term and the oldest, obviously, if he were to finish out that term. So, you know. Even by American old leader standards, Biden is, you know, an anomaly for what we've had. Well, and, and Trump's up there, too. I mean, we're going to have one way or another. If it's one of these two guys, we're going to have an 80-year-old president. Yes. Yeah, it's it's really crazy when you think about it. But that's where things look like, like they're going right now. I don't know if you saw this, Dean, but uh, Biden said this week that the only reason he's running is because he believes Donald Trump is going to be the nominee, and he, he believes he's uniquely positioned to be the one to be able to defeat him. So I don't know if that's Joe being delusional or what, but he did say that if Trump was not the candidate, that he would not be running. I found that to be pretty interesting. Well, I think it's one of those circumstances where he you know, jumped off the script and said the thing that he's not supposed to say out loud because— uh, uh, you know, that that is the calculation. They think, well, he, he beat him once. He, he can beat him again. But boy, I don't know. The polling out there, it's showing that a lot of movement is toward Trump. So, you know, we, we haven't come out one way or another on that. We're going to talk about, you know, endorsements, grades, surveys, and all that kind of stuff here in a minute. But um, this is going to be an election, an interesting election for sure. What would happen, though, if, if Biden just dropped out? I mean, you know, if he, he trips over a sandbag and he's done. Oh, my. Well, you know, if, if it happens right now, then there's an entire nominating process that could happen. You know, if it happens, gosh, if it happens, you know, six months from now, uh, then, then I think there's probably some process that the Democratic Party would go through to select a nominee, probably at their convention or something like that that we haven't seen in the past. 
that could actually happen. I mean, I don't think it would surprise anybody if Joe Biden were to have some sort of health issue that would prevent him from being the nominee. Well, you got to think they've already planned for that. And then I'm thinking that's why they had that debate on Fox the other night with uh, Gavin Newsom, right? I, I mean, they've, they've got to have somebody lined up, like on deck, ready to go. And apparently it's going to be Gavin Newsom, because what would sell better to the American people than let me bring California and what we've done here to your state? What do you think would work better in a campaign than that pitch? Yeah. Well, at least he's, how old is he? 40s? I want to say Gavin Newsom is probably in his 50s, so he probably does remember how to get off a stage and things like that. But I tell you what, California is sure a train wreck. It would be hard to sell California to Americans if you're going to, you know, fall back on how things are there right now. Well, Rob, let's let's talk about what we're going to be doing. Like I said, um, we've got a lot of legislative uh, races coming up, both at the federal level and in Ohio, and. We have a political action committee, and our committee collects information. We do surveys, we uh, give grades, and we do endorsements, and it's a pretty thorough process. Now, you know, um, I'm not sure how other organizations done it because I've not worked with other organizations. You have. How do you think, just in general, that our process compares? Because I always get the impression that we do a heck of a lot more work than other organizations. Sometimes I see these grades come out from other groups and it just seems like they randomly assign the grades. Yeah, I think our process is really comprehensive. I mean, we take a look at their voting records. We obviously have a questionnaire process, which a lot of other folks do. Also, we also take a look at their affiliations, uh, things they do outside the legislature. So I think we try our best to get, you know, a good whole picture of every candidate. Um, and and we, we weigh them against their, you know, the way they voted really matters to us. So I, I feel like our process is really well done. Yeah. And I think I've mentioned this before when we've talked, but we have data going back 20 years on everybody in the legislature, everybody who's ever served in the legislature on all their votes on all the gun bills 20 years. So, you know, it's this massive spreadsheet. Everything calculates out so that we have a percentage showing, you know, have they voted with us? Have they voted against us? And, you know, which bills uh, that applied to and so on. So we forget nothing. We track everything. And that's a huge part of the vote because, you know, you can answer on surveys and tell people what they want to hear. But it's the actual votes that's what matters. And I'm talking about committee votes and votes on the floor in the House and the Senate. Yeah. And you know, something else that is really valuable about the 20 years worth of data that Buckeye Firearms Association keeps in the age of term limits that we now live in, some of these legislators will go away, be out of the legislature for a few terms and then come back. And if they've pulled that particular move over the last 20 years, then their voting record will still be there when they get there, which, of course, will give us a better window on who they are than if they were just coming in off the street and, as you say, filling out our questionnaire, trying to please us. And that information, you know, how people vote, it's all online and it's available, but it's really difficult to get to. I mean, you have to really dig 
the current website, I think, goes back, I don't know, maybe four sessions. So that's about, you know, eight years, about a decade or so. And I think theoretically, anything older is also available, but it's difficult to get to. So we just have this spreadsheet. It's just this ginormous spreadsheet, and we can look people up by their name and look year by year. Uh, bill by bill to see how they vote, and it and it automatically calculates out what their voting record is. You know, for guns, so we can tell: are they a hundred percent candidate, or are they an eighty percent candidate, or or where are they on that? That's right. Yeah, I I I, I think that is what separates us out from most folks who do this kind of work with their pack. Uh, is we really do have a good historical record on where people have been in the past, and also just what the key what the votes are. You know, I mean, let's face it, some votes matter more than others. And we've got a record of all of it. So on the surveys, past votes, that's a huge part of the score. And then we ask questions. And I, we just completed, in fact, I just sent out the link to all of our uh, folks internally on this new survey we just did. And typically the way we do this is the, the kind of legislation we're focusing on, we'll ask questions about that. We'll ask questions about anti-gun legislation and see how they think about it. And we all will have questions. Most of them are yes, no questions. A few of them this time are going to be essay questions. So we're going to get to see, you know, what they think about things. And that factors in, and that's part of a vote too. You know, if, if you have a candidate, Rob, and they haven't served in the legislature yet, they have no votes. So you got you to gotta get some information one way or the other. And that's where the survey comes into play where they can just tell us, you know, do you support or do you not support these kind of ideas? Right. The opportunity to participate on an essay question is new for us, but I think it'll give us a chance for us to see how some of these folks think. And then, you know, we have a series of questions and where we just ask, you know, are you a member of an association? And of course, BFA is in there, but so is the NRA and so is the Second Amendment Foundation and the Sportsman's Alliance and such. We also ask, are you a hunter or are you a shooter? Do you have a sealed handgun license, et cetera? And so we're looking to find out in many ways if the person is a member of our community. Now, ultimately, I guess in the end, we don't care as long as they vote right. So you, you can have a person who really doesn't know how to answer these questions in a way that makes them appear like one of us. And if they vote right, then we ultimately don't care. But when you start getting a look at candidates who can look pretty equal, then these affiliations really help us understand who we're evaluating. Well, it's just like anything else. You know, if you were going to hire, say, a teacher, it, it matters, have you taught before? Where did you teach? What did you teach, right? So with us, we're asking things like, do you have a concealed handgun license? Do you actually carry? Do you hunt? Do you have anyone in your family who carries or hunts, and and so on. So we're that's under the personal involvement in gun rights section. It makes a difference because then they might be, you know, theoretically on our side, but we want to make sure that they can really internalize this stuff and understand it. It's it's one thing to believe in concealed carry. It's another thing to actually carry and understand what goes into that, the problems that you face, and so on. Yes, absolutely. So. You know, ideally, guy has a great voting record, answers the questionnaire correctly, and also showcases that he's actually a member of our 
you know, affiliated organizations or he's a, you know, a target shooter or a hunter or, or, or you know, obviously even more perfectly, he carries. And all that stuff is helpful for us in trying to get a picture of each candidate. And that's why this survey is really comprehensive compared to what a lot of folks do. And of course, we have some other stuff in there as well. Um, just things that are maybe sort of intangible. You know, do we know them personally? You know, have they attended our events? Uh, just other pieces of information that might factor in. Everything is scored. There's a number involved in all this, and it all adds up to a percentage. And then that translates into a grade. So, you know, we're grading A through F and trying to figure out what can we tell you when you're voting? What can we tell you about their support for gun rights? If they're an A candidate or an A-plus candidate, you know that they're going to protect your rights. If they're, you know, in the CDF territory, they're probably not. They're not going to be reliable. So that's why we do the grades in addition to endorsements because the endorsement says that, yeah, we stand behind them, but it doesn't necessarily tell you, you know, where they fall on the spectrum of supporting Second Amendment rights. Right. And sometimes, it, you know, sometimes, you know, an endorsement is often a binary choice. So, you know, if we're talking about who's running against Sherrod Brown, you know, we might endorse anybody short of Bo Schembechler. But when you're talking about grade, you know, you can endorse somebody and still not consider them an A because you're trying to capture a seat that would, you know, help in a majority situation. Like in this case, in the United States Senate, the majority is up for grabs. And so even if we don't like one candidate as much as another, we need a Republican to, can, uh, to capture that seat. So endorsement is really just a reflection of who we want to win. A grade is a reflection of how strong they are of a Second Amendment advocate. Now, it's interesting, you know, you were talking about putting a Republican into a seat. Technically, BFA and BFA PAC, we're nonpartisan. Honestly, yeah. this used to be more apparent years ago because there were a lot more Democrats who would support gun rights. We had a governor, Governor Strickland, who was a gun guy. And when he was yeah. in Ohio, before he wandered off into the uh, wilderness of Washington, D.C., and kind of lost his way, he was actually a pretty good governor on gun rights. You could pick up the phone, he would answer it, and he would show up at our events. He supported our bills. He was a pretty good guy. Well, times have changed, Rob. And it's not quite as bipartisan anymore. So if it seems like we're always supporting Republicans, that's not because we're not willing to support Democrats. It's just because people are a lot more tribal and separated today than they used to be. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, I've told a lot of folks who have said, you know, you guys are just basically all about Republicans. You know, I, I say, well, it's actually the reverse. Uh, in recent years, Republicans have been much more all about guns. Democrats have been much more all against them. So, you know what? We can't endorse Democrats who are not pro-gun. But I, but I would say this: if they start producing them, then obviously, that our our survey would reflect that. Well, and let's let's just be honest here. There there are a couple of bills from Democrats who you know are maybe a little smarter than the average bear. And they've decided to put out some bills that actually benefit gun owners. Yeah, so, yeah like, you know, like, like, like tax breaks for right? buying a gun safe, for example. I mean, that's a great idea, whether it comes from a Democrat or a Republican. 
Right. So, you know, we are nonpartisan. We welcome Democrats filling out the survey. Now, we've had that in in the past, and sometimes they do it just to be snarky, or they do it because they're looking for an F grade and they want to fundraise off of that, you know, from their constituents. Right. But look, you know, we'll consider anybody who wants to, you know, fill out a survey like that. And, uh, you know, if they're going to, you know, support gun rights, that's what we're really looking for. If they're really, if they really are looking for our endorsement. Now, Rob, I just want to circle back to, you know, some of these uh, uh, elections that we're going to be having. It's at the federal level for the Senate and the House and the state level for the Senate and the House. And then we have the Supreme Court in Ohio and some appellate courts. How important are, are these kind of races? Because I know that every election we say, this is the most important election of our lives. But this election really is important. What What do you think that's unique about this time that makes all of these legislative and court elections so important? Well, look, and you're right, it's the cliche. This is the most important election of our lives, you know. So I would say this is the latest most important election of our life, right? There's really not much question that that the race for the White House is really a, you know, a toss up. Uh obviously Biden defeated Trump previously and and now Trump's ahead in the polls, it looks like he might be poised to take it back. Every vote's going to matter. This US Senate race, really, you know, the Democrats control the Senate right now. And Sherrod Brown is is like the luckiest Democrat alive because Ohio has trended so red in recent years. And yet, you know, Brown, he runs again and again and manages to pull it out and stay in the Senate. So that's a really pivotal race to determine which party is going to control the U.S. Senate. And then when you get to the members of Congress, the Republicans have a very narrow majority in the United States House of Representatives. And so yet again, you know, it really matters which party uh, turns out their voters better. So on the federal side, three really pivotal situations happening. When it comes to the state legislature, you know, I, I don't think you would call this particular state legislative election any more important than the last one. You know, that both both chambers are controlled overwhelmingly by the Republican Party. That looks like it's going to continue to be the case. Uh, so it's not near as important. But boy, I tell you what, the Ohio Supreme Court, that's the one most people will not uh, consider. You know, right now, there is basically a one-seat majority in favor of the Republicans. This election will give them a chance to put another Republican or two on there, or they could go the other direction, and, and, and that Republican majority could be lost. And if you ask yourself, well, what's at stake? Why, why is it so important? And, and I would say this, Dean, I think you're going to want to talk about what happened in the courts this week with regard to Columbus's gun control uh, attempt. And, and that is very likely going to wind up in front of the Supreme Court. And a Supreme Court that's more reliably pro-gun is just essential. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people will vote for their representatives or their, uh, you know, their senator, because that that's something that's in front of them all the time. You know, the the judges and the justices they kind of they work in little rooms filled with books, and they're not out in front of us all the time. And traditionally, what the statistics show is that a lot of people just don't vote 
for the judges and the justices at all. And you have to remember that, yeah, you want to vote for the ones who are passing the laws, but then those laws get interpreted. That's where the judges and the justices come into play. You've got to get the right people in there. Otherwise, these laws are not going to be interpreted correctly. Now, Rob, I think there are three are there three seats on the state Supreme Court yes. that are up for grabs. So this is, you know, there's some danger here, but also some great opportunity because there there are going to be some issues uh, that are uh, uh, probably going to go right up to the Supreme Court. We'll talk about that in a minute. But you've got to really, you got to vote uh, all the way down the ticket. You really do. This is, this is you know, if this is not the most important election of our life, it's certainly pivotal from the top to the bottom of the ballot. You know, most most of the races that you're going to vote on about a year from now are going to be as important as they could possibly be. So you were talking about this uh, ruling in Columbus. Uh, you were talking about that the, the article is on our website, and it's called Judge Shoots Down Columbus Gun Control Laws Again. So... On April 25th of this year, Delaware County Common Pleas Judge David Gormley issued a ruling prohibiting the city of Columbus from enforcing its unlawful ordinances that outlaw certain firearm magazines and implement gun storage restrictions. Now, Columbus appealed that decision, and they started enforcing their rules, but the Buckeye Institute, uh, they, they asked for an appeal and they wanted that dismissed, and they finally got it. And that just happened on November 30th in the 5th District Court of Appeals. So in other words, yes. Columbus cannot currently enforce those rules, but they're not going to give up. They're going to continue litigating this. It's almost certainly going to go to the Ohio Supreme Court. I know this is confusing because at one point there were four separate cases. Columbus was suing the state. Cincinnati was suing the state. The state was suing Columbus and the Buckeye Institute was suing Columbus. Now, the state dropped their case, and currently there are three cases, but Columbus is really the center of where all this is happening. So where we stand right now, as of the, the time that we're recording this, Columbus cannot enforce their laws. You know, Rob, this all is really infuriating because twice the Ohio Supreme Court has heard cases like this They've shot them down. They say, you know, you can't pass your own laws because of preemption. But here we go again. We're probably going to get another case. What do you think about all of this? Well, it, it's just really clear that these big city mayors are just going to keep attacking gun owners. You know, each time we get a, a ruling, they, they either appeal or they go back to the drawing board and start again. Earlier this week, I spoke to a television news reporter after this court case broke. And she asked for my opinion, and I, I said, look, the Constitution is clear, and the appellate court got it right. And, and she got a quote from Zach Klein, who is the legal director for the city of Columbus, and his response was basically the Supreme Court's political. So, you know, in the Democrats' world, they just want new judges. You know, if they get a couple, a couple Democrat judges on the Supreme Court, then they're going to run that case up that way, and, and they're going to get their attempt at firearm laws, gun control, uh, upheld by the Supreme Court. So, unfortunately, you know, we always used to say everything's political, right? Your little league is political. Your church is political. Well, the Supreme Court in Ohio 
is most assuredly a political football right now. And for your gun rights, you got to make sure that, that those court races go the way that we want them to go. Well, it's funny that Klein would think it's political when it's controlled by Republicans or those who believe in gun rights or rule a certain way. But I guess if they had more, what, Democrats on there, it wouldn't be political. I mean, that's a little, little hypocritical. You know, it is what it is. And there are two Supreme Court rulings here in Ohio on preemption. They've both yes. gone our way. We were involved in the first two. And uh, this, if this goes up there and we have approximately the same makeup, uh, it's probably going to go our way as well. We certainly hope that. And so, you know, when we come out with our grades and endorsements, we certainly want everyone to pay attention to that. You're going you're gonna to need to vote on that next year. So I know that yes. seems like it's a long way off, but you've really got to vote for the judges, not just the Supreme Court judges, but the appellate judges too. It's the appellate judges that handle all of these things. That those That's where the appeals go. So when you lose a case, you take it to one of these appellate courts. And that's really important because they're the ones who tee it up for the Supreme Court. Right. And, you know, it's noteworthy. You talked about other cities that the mayor of Cleveland, has been openly discussing going down this road also. So I, I'm just confident that the minute that they get a chance, Cleveland's going to try something uh, in terms of gun regulations in their own right. And so, I, I, you know, unless we can find a way by working with the legislature that really makes them pay a price for repeatedly violating the Constitution, then I think this is going to continue. Well, Cleveland has done it in the past and certainly – Cincinnati does, but they're they're really like in the second rank. You know, Columbus is the one uh, that you know the mayor and and the uh, attorney and the the city attorney are the ones who are really driving this. They're really they're really throwing spaghetti against the wall to see what sticks. That's where it's all coming from. Yes, and uh, so you know we've been watching these court cases for a while, and it gets confusing. I get it. You read these. It goes back and forth and back and forth, and where are we? And even we get kind of lost in, you know, where all of this is and what is enforceable and what isn't at any given moment. But right now, just to repeat, for, for the moment, in Columbus, they're not able to enforce those laws. They were enforcing them, but as of right now, they're not. Now, I'm certainly they're going to appeal that. They're probably— uh, going to get a ruling. I'm not sure how long it's going to take. Maybe next year, maybe the year after it gets to the Supreme Court. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know how long it'll take to make its way there, but they're definitely going to appeal, which just takes us back to that same spot again. This election, all the way down to the bottom of the ticket, the court races, it really matters. And then, Rob, there's this other case out of uh, our neighbor, West Virginia. A federal judge in West Virginia struck down a federal handgun sales ban for those 18 to 20. Now, uh, you know, we got quite a bit of reads on that article when we published it on the website. I thought there'd be a lot more because this is a really big case. The federal judge basically came out and said, look, prohibiting handgun sales to adults 18 to 20 is, quote, facially unconstitutional, unquote, and granted a summary judgment in the case brought by the Second Amendment Foundation and and another group uh, in in West Virginia. So, Rob, you know, what do you think about this? He's, he was basically saying, look, the ATF 
and the Attorney General of the United States, you know, you cannot enforce this rule that 18 to 20 year olds cannot own or carry handguns. What What do you think about that? I think it's a fantastic ruling. I, I think it's long overdue. No one has ever been able to make a case as to somehow why an 18, 19, 20 year old adult is somehow a second class citizen when it comes to their constitutional right to keep and bear arms. Why are they somehow disfranchised from their rights? Ironically, of course, even though we'll put an M16 in their hands and send them across the ocean to die on our behalf. So this is a great ruling. It's been a long time coming. You know, I, I, I think it'd be interesting to see what the White House does with it. I think their knee jerkers are going to want to appeal it. But of course, you, you know, a lot of folks may not know this. You know, a ruling at a lower court level is not binding across the entire nation right away. But when you appeal it, it becomes the law of the land in that district, that whole, uh, you know, that division of the court, that section of the country. And of course, if it makes its way all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States, then that 18 to 20 year old prohibition would go away completely. And of course, you know, that applies everywhere, including here. Yeah. And we already have, uh, there might be 10 cases involving ARs, you know, semi-auto rifles that are on their way to the Supreme Court. I've got to think this one's going to go to the Supreme Court as well, because this has been a question for a long time. You know, Rob, an 18-year-old can own a shotgun. They can own an AR. It doesn't make any sense that they can't own a handgun. You know, it's funny. I'm not picking on Democrats, but, you know, Democrats want 16-year-olds and imprisoned murderers to vote and decide on the fate of the country, but they don't want a law-abiding high school graduate to own a Glock, right? Yes, all. Let's continue with the insanity. I don't know if you saw this this week. Dick Durbin, the Democratic senator from Illinois this week, proposed that we allow illegal aliens, people who come here illegally, to join our military. So we can trust those who come here illegally to carry M-16s and fight for us. But 18 to 20-year-old American citizens, that's a bridge too far. And I, I think that that is there's just no consistency to that argument. I think the West Virginia court obviously got it right, and I look forward to seeing how this thing goes as it moves up the chain. Well, I'm from West Virginia, Rob, and I can tell you that I'm not sure I could find anybody in West Virginia who does not own a gun. It is, <laughs> you know, because it's a pretty rural state, and growing up, everybody had guns, and and it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't political. Just everybody has a shotgun. Everyone has a rifle. You know, handguns were less common, but I can tell you when we, when my grandfather passed away and we cleaned out the house, man, there was a table full of guns. He had them all over the house. That is not unusual at all. You know, West Virginia, it's a hunting state. It's a rural state. Very often, I, I know in the place where I grew up, uh, there was no law enforcement. You had to call the sheriff, and it might take the sheriff a half an hour to get there. And, right. and this was back before... You know, the country was really debating gun control. It was just, this is just the way it is. So I'm not surprised at the ruling, but and I'm certain it will go to the Supreme Court at some point. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it will too. Boy, I'll tell you what, I, I my, you know, a great question is, how many more gun cases do you think the Supreme Court of the United States wants to take? Because they certainly have a lot of them heading their way. Of course, a lot of folks 
may not know that if we get the right ruling from the appellate court level, the Supreme Court doesn't have to take the case at all, and then the ruling is just upheld. So this doesn't have to go all the way, but we, but definitely we want the appeals court to, uh, to take the same position as the uh, lower court in West Virginia did. Right, and this is just how law develops because, honestly, there have been you know, a handful of cases, three major cases in modern history – uh, the Heller case, the McDonald case, and the most recent Bruin case that's really kind of blowing things up around the country. But those cases were very specific, just like Supreme Court cases always are. You have to flesh out the law. And these are the kind of questions that have to be asked. You know, what are, you know, are ARs okay? You know, is that covered under the Second Amendment? Can you be 18, 19, 20-year-old and own a handgun? All of these to us seem obvious, but in the law, you have to get really specific and flesh it out. So we really need a lot more cases being decided so that we can eventually arrive at a point where we all kind of understand, all right, this is what we think here in the United States about the Second Amendment and firearms. Yeah. Yeah. And and obviously, this would be the time to see that stuff happen because we've got a fairly solidly conservative court right now, which, which seemed to suggest, judging by the Bruin ruling, that they would get it right. Yeah. Well, Rob, do you have anything more to, to say about that, about elections or about some of these court cases? No, I don't think so. But that's, that's definitely some really consequential stuff happening in our courts. Well, Rob, thanks for filling in for our buddy Lee Williams. Hey, Lee, I hope you're having fun on the golf. I'm glad you're not on some crappy 20 or 30 foot boat, but you're in a 42 foot boat. Life is sweet on the Gulf, huh? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Rob, thanks again. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Dean. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at buckeyefirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to joinbfa.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.